being a catalyst means you're an advocate. It means you're you're getting in there and you're actually, you know, uh, you have a point of view and you're, you're helping to drive people in the right direction. I'm Shannon Lucas. And I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And we're the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. This is our podcast, Move, Move Fast, Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. And I'm so excited today to have time catching up with Chris Libri. Chris is Applied Materials Director of ESG, Corporate Sustainability and Reporting. In that role, Chris is responsible for accelerating the company's environmental, social, and governance programs while communicating these to external stakeholders, which we'll hear more about. Prior to Applied, Chris most recently served as the Director of Corporate Social Responsibility at Samsung Semiconductor, where he led the company's social investments and its regional response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Before that, he led ESG and corporate responsibility programs at eBay and HP, helping both organizations improve their ESG performance and reporting while achieving the highest recognition from leading external organizations, including the Carbon Disclosure Project, CDP, and the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, GJSI. Thanks for being here today, Chris. Oh, it's my pleasure, Shannon. Uh, and that uh, I don't usually get to listen to that whole introduction, and it's quite quite long. <laughs> it's quite impressive, though. It's very impressive what you've been doing. So, well, thank you. Yeah, I didn't want to leave any of it out, actually. Uh, so, I'm glad to have you here today. We'd love to start off to hearing about how you relate to the concept of catalyst. I, I mean, I, I feel like I've been a catalyst all my life in the sense that, you know, I, I do see kind of infinite possibilities and I'm kind of thinking a lot further down the road, I think, than, than most people. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's a, it's a gift. Many times it's a gift to have that kind of line of sight and, and vision. Uh, but a lot of times it's also, you know, a hindrance when other people aren't um, in the same place. So it's, it's uh, especially in, in ESG or environmental, social and governance, as you called it, or CSR or sustainability, you know, the space is changing all the time. Mm. The bar is being raised all the time. And so it's, it's really, you know, my desire is, is always to kind of make advances and you know certainly in corporate america some of those advances are more challenging than others and and you have to bring other people along with you so yeah definitely the the concept of catalyst not only applies to me personally but also to the roles that i've that i've been in the these past 10 or 12 years i mean sadly that's true right i wish it was sort of more just standard operating <clears throat> procedure built into the organizations but i think it's a great pivot to talking about what what you're catalyzing right now what are you up to in that in that role well i mean applied materials has made tremendous progress in in the past couple of years i mean uh i joined the company uh two years ago as part of the the, the plan to to really kind of unlock uh the the esg and um uh, sustainability uh, program. And, uh, you know, we have the support of our CEO, Gary Dickerson, and you know, his executive team, and we've made tremendous progress. So I'm not going to get into the kind of ins and outs of that, but and we can if you want. But I mean, the, the, the main point is, you know, like, how do we maintain that progress? How do we continue to, to drive, um, you know, our not only our performance in this area, but also be a leader in our industry and show up um, as, a, as a catalyst 
for you know change within the industry uh, around ESG. So, so you know our biggest uh, question right now, because we have a lot of great goals out to 2030, we're going to reduce our carbon footprint by 50%. We're going to hit 100% renewable energy by 2030. There's wow. all sorts of terrific things going on. You know, one of the, the issues that many companies are grappling with right now is, is called net zero, which is, is basically to, to bring your carbon emissions as a, as a company to zero effect, effectively. And um, a lot of companies are, are signing up and making that commitment, which is great. Um, some of them have plans in place to get there, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but not all of them. And so, you know, and we're, you know, very much an engineering based company. So we're, we're looking at this space or looking at what other people are doing. And we're also trying to consider, you know, how do we, how do we do this and how do we do it right? You know, how do we do it in a way that, you know, is um, consonant with, with our, our values. And, you know, we honestly, we still haven't really decided, you know, whether or not to do that. It's, it's still something that we're evaluating. Um, so, you know that that's that's probably the biggest challenge that uh, that we're working with right now. Can you define for our audience? Can you define net zero and maybe talk about the sure. what scope you're focusing on? Well, I mean, so there's let's see, without getting into too much ESG uh, jargon, there's three different aspects of a company's emissions. Scope one is the direct emissions that a company creates um, through its operations. Uh, they can be literally emissions into the air. We don't do that, uh, but some companies do. Um, uh, for instance, company vehicles would be a scope one of emission um, if they're, if they're you know, obviously fossil fuel um, oriented. Scope two are the emissions associated with the power that your company buys. So the electricity used to power your facilities um, essentially. Uh, and then scope three is this giant thing which is everything in your value chain. It's uh, your suppliers and the product getting to you. And then it's the product leaving you and going to your customers. And it's the use of your product by your customers. So it's an enormous category. Most manufacturing companies, their scope three uh, is many, many times the size of their scopes one and two. So that's that's thank what you for explaining that for the audience. Yeah. Scope thanks. one, scope two, scope three. Yeah. Okay. Then when if you want to get to net zero, what you need to do is to reduce the emissions of all three of those scopes uh, in line with the 1.5 degree pathway that the Paris Accord has set in place. So you're reducing emissions. And the assumption is you're never going to be able to eliminate all your emissions. So to get to net zero you're gonna actually remove from the atmosphere that remaining carbon. That's the challenge. So number one, reduce. Number two, remove. And that's what gets you to net zero. And essentially, you know, all companies that are looking at this at the moment are trying to figure out, well, how do we do that? You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a really enormous challenge. Um, so I want to say thank you for the explanation for the listeners, and it's fantastic that you have leadership support, like it sounds at the top level from a broad perspective. What are some of the challenges trying to even make the decision? Like, A, I'm, I'm imagining that you did a great 30-minute um, intro to that, but like, how do you uh, even clarify the vision and then have the conversations and make the decisions about a hugely impactful decision like that as a catalyst leader? Well, think about, you know, if, if you're a business in a growing industry, the challenge is actually getting larger all the time, 
right? So uh, at the moment, you know, given meetings like this, you and I are connecting on Zoom. We're all doing this uh, on a constant basis. We're all using, you know, cell phones all the time. There's all sorts of devices uh, on the edge. So the, the need for um, technology is growing. The need for uh, chips is growing. So, I mean, I'm assuming that everybody knows who applied materials are. We, we make the, we make the machines that make the chips that go in the devices that we all use. We also make the, the high, high quality displays that are in phones and TVs and things like that. So, so essentially, you know, uh, that demand for those products is driving our industry, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to be working in a, a growing industry, but uh, if you're the director of ESG, that makes your challenge that much bigger. So that's that's one issue that we we need to figure out. Okay, we're growing as a business. Obviously, it increases our capacity to do things, but it also increases the size of the challenge. Um, second issue is, you know, uh, you really need to know, you know, what the largest buckets of mm -hmm. impact are in your scope three. Is it your Suppliers, in many cases, it is for a lot of companies. Is it the use of your products? In some cases, that's the, it, the issue that needs to be dealt with. And then you have to build teams internally to help drive improvements, reductions in each of those areas. Um, so it's really, it's, a, it's definitely a team sport. <laughs> and that's you know, something I always say about ESG or sustainability in general is, is it, it takes a village in order to get it done. So, I mean, I'm guessing that you don't have a direct team of hundreds of people across an organization the size no. of your company. So how do you tap into the people that you would need to, to, again, have them understand and kind of give you both a mind share and their time and support? Well, I think, I think this is where being a catalyst is helpful because being a catalyst means you're an advocate. It means you're, you're getting in there and you're actually, you know, uh, you have a point of view and you're, you're helping to drive people in the right direction. And so I think that that's, a, that's a, an asset. I mean, the other thing I think that, that works, at least for me, is you know, uh, I've been doing this kind of work for uh, about 12, 13 years. Before that, I was a, a marketing director. And so I, I worked with lots of different functions. It was kind of part of my role to work with different functions in the company, whether it was R&D or manufacturing or sales. And so being able to kind of put myself in their shoes a little bit, you know, understand the world, also understand how the business runs. So I'm, I'm not kind of the ESG director who's never been responsible for a P&L, for instance. So it's kind of like having those kind of, um, whatever, what, I, I don't know how to put it, kind of like those abilities to work in and out of ESG in a way. You know, I'm an ESG director, but I also understand how a business operates and I can kind of, connect with people on that level, hopefully, and that helps to, to drive collective action. Yeah, so interesting about the marketing background. When I was building out the innovation program at Vodafone, I realized that like 50% of my job as a change leader was essentially marketing. It's like the mm -hmm. storytelling and the bringing people along and 50% of that was internal. I'm wondering what, um, what key learnings you've had as you've been bringing people along and you know understanding, it sounds like you're demonstrating an understanding of knowing the business and still sort of bringing them along. Well, one thing I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, and obviously this is all, you know, kicked off by our CEO, Gary Dickerson, and, and, and he's been a, a tireless advocate and, and supporter of, of ESG within our company. And you need that, you really do. Um, but you don't wanna rely on that 
entirely. I mean, because you can't just kind of go around and tell people, hey, you know, we're going to, we need to do this because Gary says so. I mean, that, that just doesn't get you all that far. So, you know, I think what you need to do is you need to kind of inspire people with the fact that this is the right thing to do. And, you know, this is going to also help them in their different roles. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, working with say facilities and showing them ways in which ESG and sustainability will help reduce their cost or working with one of our biggest parts of our business is actually a services group that services the tools that we have at our customers, right? At Intel and, and others, uh, chip manufacturers of that nature. And so, you know, that's our largest work workforce really and you know getting them engaged getting them to see themselves in some of our social uh, objectives right because ESG is also social it's not just environmental so you know uh, our diversity and inclusion objectives and um, and our other uh, you know kind of more human rights related workforce related um, uh, objectives as a company you know those are all things that you know people will see not only, as things that they need to do, but also that they have an advantage for them, mm-hmm. you know, because a more diverse work- workforce is a, a stronger one, a more engaged workforce and all that. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's really, I, I see it as it's kind of like you say, you know, I think ESG and marketing are also quite similar. It's also a bit similar to kind of being a general manager because you're, you're constantly moving within in these different functions, finance, for instance. Now we have the, the SEC, getting engaged uh, on, on climate disclosures and they want us to, 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 to put that forward. So it's driving a much stronger relationship for my team with the finance organization. Um, but you're absolutely right. The, the ESG teams in most companies are pretty small. And you know, that's, that's, that's a natural because we're a cost center. We're a central organization. We don't generate a, a lot of revenue or any revenue for instance. And so it's kind of like, you know, you, you have to operate through the organization you have to work through influence yeah. um and and really you know drive a, a kind of cohesive um uh team uh, and 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 I, I think it's it's that's the fun part of it is kind of constantly working across the group and and bringing people together we have a an esg leadership council which has many of these <clears throat> business leaders and functional leaders on it and you know we meet um, on a regular basis to talk about you know our objectives and how we're progressing. Uh, spot on. So like the key takeaway for me is it's all about influence, right? I mean mm-hmm. it's influence, influence. And what I heard you say even behind the influence is like what is the win for them in it? Sort of the with the with exactly. them, like what is it? What's in it for me? Kind of thing. Um, I guess just a final question before we go to the next round. Uh, it's a lot of emotional labor is what I hear. It's like, you're doing a lot of the emotional, like bringing people along. How do you sustain your, yourself and your energy, especially because my guess is, is that they're not moving as fast as you urgently think they probably should. Some of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's always stronger connections and stronger advocates within the organization and you soon realize that you know you know uh, these folks are people i don't have to worry about these folks i might need to kind of work a little bit more closely with but yeah in terms of sustaining myself i think i mean one of the reasons why i love this work as opposed to i mean i loved being a marketing director but frankly you know it got to the point where you know i don't know how much soap i could sell i mean i was working for unilever and so, you know, it's it's great. I mean, they had great products, but honestly, you know, uh, selling more Dove is 
kind of gets a little bit, you know, kind of, I don't know, whatever, uh, self-fulfilling after a while. So, you know, ESG is, is an objective that's a, a much higher one, at least. It feels like, you know, we're doing something that's not only right for the company, but also right for the planet mm -hmm. and for people. So there's that. And then on, on a personal level, you know, my, 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 my thing is I, I love running. So I, I, I run about 20 miles a week and, uh, you know, that's just kind of being outside. I don't like to run on treadmills. <laughs> I like to get outside in the fresh air. I'm, happy, I'm lucky enough to live in the Bay Area and the, the weather is pretty conducive to it. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's my outlet and, and my ability to kind of, you know, uh, get recharged. Love it. Love it. And we know data data shows that uh, leaders who can do that and have some commitment to their rejuvenation practices actually create more effective change in the orgs. All right. You ready for rapid fire? Sure. All right. First one, what piece of advice do you have for up and coming catalysts or said another way? What do you wish you had known about being a catalyst when you were 20? I think I think it's listen, listen better. Yeah, I, that would be that would be my advice. Is 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 you know my my inclination is to uh, analyze and act, and there's I think there's a step in between which is listen, and I think the listening piece enables you to understand who's who's the catalyst in the room with you, and who are perhaps the folks who who might you know be a bit of an anchor or what have you holding you back, and. Uh, <clears throat> And then you can you can work to bring them along. So I think that's Brilliant. that's that's key. Yes. It is like if you could do one thing, people listen, yes, listen better. What advice do you have for executives about identifying and tapping into their catalysts? Well, you know, I think I think it's important for executives to recognize the catalysts in their team. Uh, number one. Number two, to not be threatened by them. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, I've had a lot of great bosses in my career and, and most of them, all of them, in fact, have recognized that, you know, they're only as successful as the people who report to them. And so, you know, I think giving, giving the catalysts in your team the space to, to innovate and to get things done, but also, you know, supporting them, advising them uh, is, is really important, you know. Um, you know, every now and then it doesn't hurt to have a boss who says, hey, just take a pause, relax, you know, let's, we, we can live to fight another day, what have you. I, I had a boss, speaking of Unilever, years ago who said, uh, when I was a little too worked up about something, you know, Chris, it's just soap. So that was, that was always like the calming thing I needed to hear. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, good perspective. What's the worst thing about being a catalyst? The worst thing I think is, is getting, Getting frustrated, I think it, it's it's like, um, and I would another piece of counsel I would give is is be patient, be patient because uh, it's easy to be frustrated and say, bah, you know, I'm out of here or whatever or bah, you know, and do something silly that's not con constructive. And I think you just if you're patient things will kind of write themselves eventually. I mean, not every time, but I, I think it's, it's, it's important to kind of try and be aware of your catalyst tendencies and try to, try to manage them in, this, in the hope of, you know, you're gonna to live to fight another day and, and, and hopefully win, so. 
Yes. That advice is so spot on and it can be so hard. It's like, Oh, it yes. Is. Okay. What's the best part about being a catalyst? Well, the best part is when you, you know, when you, when you see where things are going, should go and they start going there and you mm. see the plan coming together. I mean, it's uh, it's an amazing feeling. Um, you know, I, I, one thing I would say about my experience at, at HP was, you know, I, we, we coined the term, my team coined the term living progress for what the team was doing in, in ESG and sustainability, because we never, we, the point was we were never going to get there. It's, yes. it's a constant journey, but you know, when you, when you see that that plan is, is going in the direction that it ought to, that it needs to, to achieve your goals, that's a wonderful feeling. And, uh, you know, helping to pilot the organization in that direction is, is really, really awesome. I just feel as I, as I hear you, like my body was just like, oh yes. Like they're just enjoying the journey and knowing there is no endpoint as a catalyst. We're always going to be progressing, but like there's a per permission to just like, let go a little bit of the, oh, it's, we've got to do this thing yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, what's great about ESG is that there really isn't, I mean, you know, let's say we figure out this net zero thing. I mean, you know, there's still going to be things we need to do, uh, because, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take us at least, you know, 15, 20 years to get to that point. So there's a lot of work that needs to happen between now and then. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Do you have a call to action for our listeners? Well, I, I, I mean, I'll be uh, shameless and I'll, I'll plug the fact that uh, every year Applied Materials uh, issues its sustainability report, uh, which uh, is a recap of everything we did last year. So actually the 2021 report, believe it or not, is coming out this Thursday. Uh, it'll be on our corporate website. Um, and I would encourage people to take a look. There's a lot of great stuff we've done there and uh, a lot of um, a lot of new things that uh, we have in plan in store for the for our plans. Um, yeah. And then, you know, on a more personal level, you, you were asking me earlier, Shannon, about books and yeah. uh, the, I, there's so many books. So when I run, I listen to books. I do audiobooks uh, nice. all the time. I, I had done podcasts for a long time, but I, I prefer to lose myself in a book. And one of my favorite writers is uh, a guy named Amor Tolls. Um, he's uh, an American writer. He used to be a, uh, uh, a fund manager, but uh, in his spare time, he was also studying uh, writing and, and he'd gone to Stanford on a, on a scholarship to, to learn uh, creative writing. So in any event, he's got three awesome books. Uh, my favorite is A Gentleman in Moscow. Oh, uh, yes. I, I didn't connect to yeah. the name. That book is amazing. It's a wonderful so book. Good. Yes. It's yeah. uh, one of the greatest characters ever, uh, The Count. Yeah. yeah. And then his latest book is called The Lincoln Highway. Oh, I'm going to totally get it because I love yeah. that book. I mean, my whole family, so, we just passed it around one summer whenever it came well, out. We all just binged it. Yeah. Yeah. So The Lincoln Highway is, I would say, almost as good as a gentleman in Moscow. It's a high bar. Yeah. That's, and that's a high yeah. bar. Yeah. Because yeah. I think gentleman in Moscow is my favorite ever. So anyway. Thank you, you for sharing. I'm, I'm about to go on vacation. So I'm really excited for a vacation book instead of all the business books. 
Um, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Uh, we will put in the show notes a link to your report. We will put in the show notes the link to the author and the books. Um, and I just wanted to say deep thanks. We'll continue. I'm excited to continue to watch the progress that you are driving these large companies to on behalf of the planet and its inhabitants. So thank you. Thank you, Shannon. It's been a pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at catalystconstellations.com. And of course, don't forget to check out our book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out. If you have other catalysts in, the light, in your life, send a link their way to share the show. Thanks again.